We're going to be talking about lessons from Barnabas. If it's going to work out for us. I, uh, I was reading in the book of Acts uh, a little while ago, uh, reading through it. And uh, I came across this character, Barnabas, who struck my attention. And I began to do a little bit more research about him to see what we can learn. And uh, we got reconnected here. All right. And so um, tonight I'm going to talk about lessons from Barnabas and how it is a necessity for the church. We're going to cover a few questions. Who was Barnabas? What did he do? Why was he such a key player in the first church? And how does all this information apply to us? And what should we do? Before I forget, my beautiful wife, she helps me out. And she says, last time I talked too fast. I covered about 20 pages of notes in 20 minutes, so I'm going to try to slow it down, take my time, not get so nervous. Amen. All right, here we go. So Barnabas or Joses? We first find information or a mentioning of Barnabas in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. It says, and Joses, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus. So we find Barnabas here in Acts chapter 4 is actually his surname. So um, surnaming was often due to that person's character. Examples, other examples we find in Scripture is Simon, who was surnamed Peter. James and John were surnamed Boanerges by Jesus. And more, lots of other people were surnamed in the Bible. And it was often a reflection of how they acted or how they carried themselves. For Simon, Peter uh, means rock or stone. It's no surprise when we see Jesus call him Cephas in the Gospels. And we know from Peter, you know, he's a rigged, kind of rough-around-the-edges type of guy. And James and John, their surname meant sons of thunder. It was most likely due to their powerful spirit and their personalities in pursuit and zeal for the Lord. So the meaning of Barnabas. Luke gives us the exact meaning of Barnabas being the son of of consolation. Consolation meaning comfort or encouragement. And interestingly enough, it wouldn't be a lesson for me if I didn't have some original language in there. So it is the same root Greek word for the comfort that comes from the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost, excuse me. So the Greek word for consolation here is paraklesis. Can everyone say that with me? Paraklesis. All right. Y'all speak Greek. Congratulations. So when you look elsewhere in the Bible, uh, parakletos is used to describe the Holy Spirit in John 14 and elsewhere in the Bible where the Spirit is called the Comforter. So you can kind of recognize, you know, the Comforter, talking about the Holy Ghost, is parakletos, but consolation here is paraklesis. It has the same root word. And so it gives us the sense that Barnabas was a man that encouraged others through the Spirit that lived inside of him, and it was such a defining character trait that we get his surname. Barnabas. And uh, just by this first scripture, we can see that this was a man that helped others and encouraged them. Barnabas was someone who allowed, last point on the screen here, Barnabas was someone who allowed the comfort of the Holy Spirit to travel through him and to others. What an important trait in personality to have in our church. Amen. The first takeaway we can see from this character Barnabas is found in his name. It's that we need to be a force of encouragement to everyone we come in contact with. 
what actions and personality, what, what about Barnabas, what did he possess in order for him to be named? It's literally what they named him as someone who comforts or encourages, some, uh, encourages other people. It must be poured out of him constantly to everyone. So how countercultural is that challenge for us today? In a modern society where there are divisions everywhere, there are divisions of divisions. Some of that mentality unknowingly to us can creep into the church, but we are reminded by a character study of Barnabas to be a comfort or an encouragement to all. But no matter where, where you stand on any certain topic, we should be able to show the love of Christ to all and be an encouragement to this world. Amen. So let's continue to look at this character Barnabas in Scripture. He's only mentioned in 28 verses of the New Testament, mentioned 29, 29 times in 28 verses, which is more than some, but not quite as much as Paul or Peter or, other, some, or some other of these main players in Scripture. So like I said, we first read him mentioned in Acts chapter 4, and he stood out because he was surnamed by the apostles. Uh, he sold his land, took the full price of the land, and gave it to the apostles. He gave it to the work of the Lord. This is contrary to Ananias and Sapphira, which are mentioned immediately after Barnabas. So some points to take note of is that he was surnamed Barnabas, meaning son of consolation, the encourager, by the apostles. He clearly had an impact on them and all those that were around him. He is first mentioned for um, he's first mentioned because he sold his land and gave all of the money to the apostles so that everyone in the kingdom, everyone in the church could be benefited. Uh, money can be comforting. How many know that? Amen. <laughs> I think everyone in here would be encouraged if someone did that and gave the money to New Life today. We'd be all encouraged. Amen. The first thing we see about Barnabas was that he was not only a giver, but willing to give of his resources so that everyone can be blessed. This is a trait that is constantly seen in Barnabas throughout Scripture. You do not need to give a lump sum, lump sum of money in order to benefit people. Our resources can include our time and, if I may say, our emotional bank. Sometimes people just need an ear to listen or a shoulder to cry on. These are resources that can be given and how you can encourage people. We need to note that he was not the only one who did such a thing, but he stands out possibly because of the amount of money that he gave. Or it's mentioned in order to give a stark contrast to the people following in chapter 5. And we'll take a quick look. So he's first mentioned in verse 36 in Joseph by the apostles who was surnamed Barnabas. We already read that scripture. Verse 37, he had a land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He gave it to the apostles in front of everybody. Then immediately the next verse starts in chapter 5. And in contrast, it starts off saying, but a certain man. So in contrast to Barnabas, it says, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price his wife also being privy to it, or she was in on it, and they brought that certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet, made to seem like just like Barnabas in the scriptures previous. I think that maybe Ananias and Sapphira saw the affirmation and the praise that Barnabas received, and they wanted to look good in front of the people. However, Peter was quickened by the Holy Ghost, and he knew that they were lying about what they were giving, because there was no other way that he would know that. You may wonder why Peter was so upset by someone giving money to the church. It doesn't quite add up. Well, you know, Peter comes against them and he says, you lied not only to us, but you lied to God. And Ananias dies and Sapphira keeps lying and she dies too. So why was it so serious? Why was the punishment so serious? And uh, the sin is not that they gave their money, but that they lied about their giving. They were being false 
and they were appearing false to others. Barnabas had sold his land and gave all of the money. However, they sold their possession and gave some of the money, but doing it in a way that made them appear that they were giving it all. They wanted to look like him without actually doing what he did. The sin was hidden in their heart. They wanted the praise of men, but they wanted their money too. And uh, no one was forced. An important point was no one was forced in this time period. Like I said, Barnabas wasn't the only person, but many people were selling their things and giving the money to the church. And they were not forced, but they gave it out of their free will. They wanted to bless the church and their devotion to God. Ananias did this thing, forgetting that everything was given for God and for his work. He imagined he can get away with receiving the praise of men and lying to God, as Peter states. But you cannot get away with lying to the Lord. So continuing on about Barnabas, further in Scripture, if we continue to look in the book of Acts, his next mention is in Acts chapter 9. Now, some context on Acts chapter 9. This is famous for uh, the famed apostle Paul, but before he got to Paul, he was Saul. So in Acts chapter 9, Saul had just had his conversion after having his supernatural encounter. Saul had received salvation and understanding, and he actually begins preaching in Damascus. He preaches boldly that Jesus is the Christ. The Jews in Damascus, they tried to kill him, and he ended up escaping from the city down a bas- in a basket down the wall in the middle of the night, and he heads towards Jerusalem. So Saul is now converted and a preacher of the gospel, and he's trying to connect with these disciples at Jerusalem. Now remember, these were the same people that Saul was threatening and trying to persecute, and now Saul's all of a sudden being friendly to them. I can't blame these disciples. I really can't. Saul was trying to kill them. You know, they just saw Stephen get stoned. And Saul was there. I can't blame them for, oh, now he wants to be a part. You know, it probably seemed like a setup. But in verse 27, we read, but Barnabas. So in contrast, the apostles, they were afraid of Saul. They were actually afraid of him. But in in verse 27, it says, but Barnabas took him, speaking of Saul, and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of of Jesus. But there was a man named Barnabas that took Saul and brought him before the apostles and vouched that he is converted and preaches the same gospel as they do. This is a pivotal moment in church history. We can see the impact now on the other side of how Saul, which we all know as Paul, changed the world and recorded over half of the New Testament. But I can't help but wonder if this would have been possible if it wasn't for Barnabas. The disciples in their hesitancy could have stopped Paul and not allowed him to become a a part of the church. Thankfully, though, this well-respected man, Barnabas, was willing to put his reputation on the line and bring Saul under his wing and stand up for him in front of the apostles. Barnabas was the only one who saw the transformed Paul before anyone else, and probably including Saul himself. He saw the change in his life and encouraged Son of consolation, that's what his name means. He encouraged and comforted Saul when no one else would accept him. Sometimes all it takes is one person in the church to be willing to look past someone's past and what they've done to start to see what God can do with their life. Amen. All it took was some encouragement and someone willing to stick by their side. The truth of the matter is for some of us in this room today, we are who we are because someone was a Barnabas to us. All it takes is one person to encourage and support someone as they begin their journey with Jesus and for that person to have the ability to grow into what God called them to be. 
This is what resembles the character of Barnabas the most, in my opinion, is he stood up when no one else would and defended Saul. I would venture to say that he did this for other people as well and not just Saul. You are not called the son of consolation. It's not your literal name because you encouraged one person. But most likely it was because that he did it for everyone that he came in contact with. What a testimony of his character. He was the encourager. So continuing to look on, in Acts chapter 11, we see the next reference of Barnabas. And in verse 22, it says, Then tidings of these things, so a little more context on this part of the story, these things that they're talking about is the Grecians at Antioch, they were starting to receive the, the Jesus message, and they were starting to receive salvation. So when these things came into the ears of the church, which was at Jerusalem, they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God that was being done with those Grecians, he was glad and exhorted them all that with the purpose of heart that they would cleave unto the Lord. In verse 24, Luke records that Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. So Barnabas was a Levite and a Jew, and he was glad when he saw the grace of God working with the Grecians at Antioch. He encouraged them to cleave to the Lord and to serve them in his hearts. And when we get to verse 24, it gives a great description of Barnabas and who he was. He, had, he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost, and full of faith. What powerful qualifiers for someone. I hope that could be said of me one day. Amen. Oh, that those same qualities can be said of everyone in this room. To be a good man, someone who is morally upright and righteous, to be full of the Holy Ghost, not partially, but you are full of the Spirit so much so that other people can see it. And number three, to be full of faith. You're not wavering, but you're ever trusting in the promises of the Lord and the ways of the Lord. Amen. It was through these traits that many people, we read at the end of the verse, through these traits, through this man Barnabas, that many people were added unto the Lord. In verse, uh, Acts 11, verse 25, then, par- uh, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year uh, they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. We see uh, next that Barnabas goes looking for Saul, the man that he stood up for. Saul was left in Syria and Cilicia to preach the gospel, but Barnabas went out and sought Saul so that he can work with him in Antioch. Once again, we see Barnabas taking Saul and encouraging him, uplifting him, consoling him while taking the initiative to possibly mentor him. You see, Barnabas was the one who had the initiative. It says that he went seeking for Saul. Sometimes we have to be intentional when we are encouraging and lifting up other people in the church. We have to take the initiative to do it. Barnabas initiated and a great result takes place. We see the first mention of Christians in the, in the Bible in this verse. You see the word Christians is only mentioned three times in the entire Bible, but to me it's no surprise that it comes in connection with Barnabas, this man that we're talking about. I can't help but think that his fingerprints were all over those who were called Christians at Antioch. People that were full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost, had a good report. Barnabas was showing people how to follow Christ by his example and others took notice and called them Christians. And uh, up to this point, do a quick recap. We can see why this man was such an important figure in the New Testament church. He grew among the brethren so much so that they referred to him and Saul as apostles. Barnabas and Saul are, are regarded as the original missionary duo. Before it was Paul and Silas, who we all know, it was originally Barnabas and Saul. 
um, at this point, oh, we lost connection. Let's see if we can get it back. There we go. At this point, Barnabas and Saul are set to take their first missionary journey. We just read in uh, chapter 11, and after we get to chapter 12, the book of Acts actually shifts its attention from Peter and the Jews, the first 12 chapters, to the last chapters of the book of Acts. It shifts its attention to Paul and the Gentiles. And chapter 13 marks this first missionary journey. Barnabas and Saul were sent from Antioch under unction of the Holy Ghost to go preach the word. How amazing that Barnabas helped the disciple, oh, he helped disciple the once infamous Saul into a preacher of the gospel. Barnabas was leading Saul, and for this trip, they actually take with them a young man named John Mark. Now, that may seem unimportant, but it's actually important for later in the story. Uh, the next place in scripture where we see the ministry, like I just said, is Acts chapter 13. And verse 9 is actually the beginning of Saul being called Paul and the beginning of his apostolic ministry. It, the, the narrative kind of switches from Barnabas and Paul to Paul and Barnabas. If you begin to read after chapter 13, it refers to them more as Paul, Paul and Barnabas instead of Barnabas and Paul. It kind of gives an illusion or a, a sneak peek into what's actually happening in that time. They are uh, a little more on Acts chapter 13. They're going through the Isle of Paphos, and um, they come across a false pros- a prophet, a false prophet, excuse me, and a sorcerer named Bar-Jesus. And there's this deputy called Sergius who called for these apostles to hear the word of the Lord, but this false prophet was trying to turn them away. Paul, then being full of the Spirit, curses this man with blindness, and the deputy, Sergius, believed their doctrine. It is something powerful to envision that Paul is now being empowered to boldly declare the work of the Lord. This is the first thing in Scripture that we see Paul doing of this sort. This is the beginning of Paul surpassing Barnabas, and their relationship begins to change. It's important to note, however, after all this happened, after he cursed this man with blindness, that young man, John Mark, he left them and went back to Jerusalem. Uh, And Paul and Barnabas continued on to Antioch. After this, Paul and Barnabas continue to minister at Antioch. Paul begins to stand out from Barnabas by working miracles and preaching to the Gentiles. So this man, you know, Paul, who was once Saul, that Barnabas stood up for, the narrative starts to change. Barnabas was the well-known man, but now Paul begins to surpass him in the New Testament church. But you never see an ounce of resentment from Barnabas. This man, this, this encourager, he never resented that the man that he stood up for, the man that he was trying to mentor and disciple, he never once resents that he was passing, up in, passing him up in ministry. So the next place we see Bar- Barnabas in Scripture is at the end of chapter 15. And I know it seems like I'm jumping around, but you have to get all of these little snapshots of this man in order to understand who he was. So up until this point, Paul's beginning to exceed his mentor, and uh, they continue to minister together to their world. In verse 36, Paul starts to instruct Barnabas. So it really flips. Paul starts suggesting things to Barnabas instead of vice versa. And he suggests that they make their second missionary journey to visit the churches that they were just at not too long ago. And so it brings us to this sad slide where Barnabas and Paul split up. You see, Barnabas agrees to go with Paul, but he suggests in bringing John Mark, again, that one young man who left them and went home early back to Jerusalem on their first missionary journey. Barnabas wants to bring him again. Um, But Barnabas and Paul disagree so much that they split up and went their different ways. The Bible actually says that the contention was so sharp between them. So who is this John Mark? And you do a little research and you actually find out that he was the nephew of Barnabas. 
He went on their first missionary journey, but he bailed out before it was finished. And it's speculated that he went back to Jerusalem due to fear or he just wasn't ready to be involved with Paul's ministry. So Paul, understandably, is not okay for John Mark to come with them, probably because he thinks he's going to bail out again and this young whippersnapper doesn't really know what he's doing. So Paul may have been right, but Barnabas, being the one who he is, he sticks up for people, he encourages people in their beginning stages, just like he did for Saul. He's not backing down. He wants to bring this young man with them. It could be a factor that he was his nephew, but either way, the argument got so heated that they split up and they stopped doing ministry together. This otherwise dominant missionary team has just been separated and divided because they cannot agree on who to bring with them. Seems kind of, you know, what, what you might say petty if it's something small, but they just got in such a heated argument that they could not continue together. So the story has that Barnabas ends up taking John Mark with him back to Cyprus, where he once was from, and Paul picks up Silas as they journey towards the rest of the churches. And I cannot imagine how intense this argument must have been for Paul to leave his mentor, the guy that stood up for him when no one else would. And vice versa, for Barnabas, with his loving spirit and, his, and how he encouraged people to leave the man that who's growing so much as a minister. It had to be pretty, a pretty rough argument and disagreement in order for them to split up. And not to mention how this may have left this young man, John Mark, feeling that the Apostle Paul didn't want him to come on the journey. He just wasn't good enough for Paul. I can only imagine how he felt. So this brings me to my next point. I skipped aside. Let's see if we can get it back. The beauty of Scripture. So this is the last time we actually see the mentioning of Barnabas in the book of Acts, and relatively throughout the rest of the New Testament. Barnabas went on his own way, never to be heard of again. I don't think that he stopped doing ministry, but it just wasn't important or as important as Paul's ministry was to the New Testament church. He is mentioned by Paul in Galatians chapter 2 as someone who fell actually into hypocrisy. Um, you see, Paul mentioned this and said that he fell into hypocrisy with Peter when they were eating with the Jews and not the Gentiles and all that kind of stuff. So it shows us that with all of Barnabas's godly qualities that he was still human. Everything that we mentioned that he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost, full of faith, he was still just a human. It shows us that the only perfect man was Jesus Christ. And it gives us a reality that humanity still prevails even in our most beloved leaders. This is the beauty of scripture, however, because when we read this book and you read about Adam and you read about David and Job, even these men had their pitfalls and mistakes. But it gives us hope that we can still be used of the Lord and it gives us hope that he still loves us. Amen. And I'm almost done. I only got, I think, two more slides. So I can't get over this argument. So who was right? Was Paul right or was Barnabas right? One of them had to be right, right? Well, Paul refers to John Mark in 2 Timothy in his last letter written in chapter 4, verse 11, and says, he tells Timothy in his last letter to take Mark, for he's profitable to me. He's profitable for the ministry. So we see Paul restore his confidence in this once wavering young man, John Mark. John Mark was the one who actually recorded the gospel of Mark, and he ended up proving throughout his life that he was good for ministry. Paul recognizes this fact it acknowledges John Mark's value in the church. So it brings me back to one of my beginning points. This is the impact of a man named Barnabas. 
I can only imagine how this young man, John Mark, would have acted if Barnabas didn't take him under his wing and take him back to his hometown. John Mark, he could have possibly been so discouraged that Paul didn't want him that he stopped doing ministry. But Barnabas, the encourager, the one who encouraged others, took John Mark under his wing and encouraged him to continue on doing ministry. So what should we do? I've given you a ton of information, a character study on Barnabas. So a few things that we can all take from Barnabas. He, one thing that we can note is that encouragement in the church breeds growth. In order for there to be growth, there needs to be encouragement. Second point is mentorship or discipleship is necessary. Third point is the give of our resources is also necessary. That includes money, but more than money sometimes is time and friendship and just being someone's friend. Amen. Fourth point is to stand with those who may be an outcast. You know, we're going to get some people that come to the church and they might not look like us or act like us or even smell like us. But there needs to be someone who can encourage them and comfort them when they're trying to get the relationship with Jesus started. And the last point is we need to allow Christ to shine through us so much so that it shines on others. We need to be full of the Holy Ghost, full of faith. Amen. So just like Barnabas, we need these traits in our church today. It may take someone who would just encourage a new saint that's beginning their walk with God. Just a little bit of encouragement. Or even a saint that's been here for 50 years. Everyone needs encouragement at some point in their life. You never know, that saint might become the next world missionary just like Paul was. And this reminds me actually of uh, our dean of missiology at Indiana Bible College. His name is Reverend Rodenbush, Rob Rodenbush. And he is a missionary to Africa. He was a missionary to Africa, and he opened up the country of Ghana. And opened up just simply means that he was one of the first missionaries from our organization there and planted churches. But the story of him is, well, and while they were there, at one point in the span of four years, they planted 48 churches. About a church a month, they said. So a powerful man of God. But his story is, is he wasn't raised in church. He says that he was 12 years old in his room one day, and he was praying, reading his Bible, and he comes across Acts chapter 2 and says, Lord, if I need this, I want it. And lo and behold, he gets the Holy Ghost by himself. And so months go down the line, and he's at his friend's house, and they walk into his friend's house, and the friend's mom is praying, and she's speaking in this language that he once spoke before, and he's like, hey, I do that. I pray like that. And, you know, you can only imagine how that story finishes out, and he ends up in the church. But the interesting fact is Brother Rodenbush always told us that there was an apostolic church one block away from his house. He never had a door knock. He never had anyone tell him that Jesus loved him. It was by the grace of God that God saved him in, in his searching through the scripture. And he ends up being this missionary that literally changes an entire country in Africa. All it takes is one person, everybody. All it takes is one person. So let's take a note from Barnabas and encourage those that are laboring with us. Remember, you can always get more with honey than you can with vinegar. And the original quote's talking about flies, but it works for people too. Amen. <laughs> Brother Stephen, if you want to come, I'm coming to a close. I have one more quote for you here. It says, a word of encouragement during a failure is worth more than an hour of praise after a success. Encouragement inside the church is so necessary and important because it helps us edify and build up one another. When you just tell someone, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, how you doing? Connect with people. If you encourage and uplift these people, you'll build connections and the church will be stronger than ever before. Amen. We can all stand.
So I hope that we could learn something and take note of what Barnabas and who he was in the scripture. He wasn't someone that was constantly in the spotlight, but what he did, it mattered. And he was someone who encouraged people. You don't have to have a microphone. You don't have to have a last name in order to encourage somebody. You can just walk up and say, hey, how you doing? You don't even have to know them. I'm coming to tell you, church, there's going to be a day where people are walking in this back doors and we don't even know who they are. It might be for some of us today we don't know who they are, but we need to connect and encourage and build them up. Amen.